Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, the top six just turned around and went, what are you doing here? Project Big Picture. That's what we're talking about today. Another project. This one aiming to save football. At least if you listen to Fenway Sports Group, Manchester United's owners, and Rick Parry, the EFL chief executive, who are at the forefront of this proposal, which is pretty controversial, I think it's fair to say. It would see the Premier League reduced from 20 to 18 clubs. The Carabao Cup would be scrapped. Sorry, Carabao. The Community Shield would be scrapped. Sorry, community. Um, the current one club, one vote rule, which means that 14 clubs out of the current 20 need to agree on any major changes, would be abolished, meaning that the power to make decisions in the Premier League would be with the nine clubs that have remained in the league the longest. That's the top six, Arsenal, Tottenham, Liverpool, Manchester United, Man City and Chelsea, along with Everton, Southampton and West Ham as it currently stands. Only six of those nine would need to vote for a major change to be passed. But crucially, alongside all these controversial changes to the Premier League, the proposal includes a £250 million bailout of the EFL. With many clubs in the English football leagues in a desperate financial situation in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic, given the complete loss of match day revenues. This proposal also puts forward the idea of 25% of all Premier League revenues in future seasons being kicked back to the EFL, potentially giving a real long term financial stability to the football pyramid. So you can understand why this is potentially attractive to a lot of EFL clubs who, as I say, are desperate for this money and with no formal plan yet agreed or put forward by the Premier League or the government as an alternative. We're going to be getting into it all with Lawrence McKenna, Chris Hennage, but I thought given how unpopular this proposal is, it would be interesting to hear from Rick Parry himself, the EFL chairman, who gave an interview to Sky Sports earlier this week and who is supporting this proposal and who is this week looking to get the support of many EFL clubs behind it as well. 
it's been many months in in the making. I've been involved from the EFL's perspective. Um, it's been thought through. It's been thoroughly analysed. But at, at its heart, as I said, it's really very very simple. It's about taking a major chunk of the media revenues, funneling them downwards through the game, recognising the relevance, the importance of keeping the pyramid strong, not just in the short term but in the longer term. Um, and you know, it's um, you know, in a sense, it doesn't matter where the idea has come from. The fact is that the idea has enormous merits, and I think the fact that two of our major clubs um, are actually showing a great interest in the pyramid. Um, are demonstrating leadership is um, frankly, I think, something to be applauded. We actually genuinely think that this is in the best interests of the game as a whole, certainly in the best interests of the pyramid. Um, it's impossible to bring about change whilst keeping everybody happy. Um, and I think once we've been given the opportunity to explain the plan fully, um, don't see any reason why government shouldn't be fully on site because as I said it's it's about solving the short-term problems which they've been acutely aware of whilst also achieving the long-term reset which is so valuable for the future of the game. This isn't about giving power to a limited number of named clubs, this, this is about recognising that those clubs who've been in the Premier League the longest get a greater share of the voting rights. Um, I mean, that's an internal issue for the Premier League. It's, it's an issue for the clubs to, um, to address. Our focus is on the enormous benefits of this proposal for the EFL and for the Pyramid. And, and as I said, the benefits are absolutely immense. Frankly, it could have come from the Premier League. It could have come from anywhere else. It could have come from the 14. It didn't. The bigger clubs have actually come forward and said, we actually care about the future of the game. We do think there needs to be a reset uh, and they're prepared to back a proposal which solves short-term financial pressures, but also long-term financial pressures in the EFL, meets all of the challenges that we've identified. So from our point of view, it's an excellent plan. Despite Rick Parry putting his case forward, um, fair to say this was pretty universally unpopular, especially with fans, um, many of whom have come out against it. The Premier League has also come out against it, of course. The government has come out against it. Yunnan, I think, has also come out against it. Um, are you against it, Lawrence? I mean, what, what was your initial reaction upon seeing the proposal when it leaked in The Telegraph over the weekend? Um, I, I've got to admit, I didn't know the alternative, as it were. So when I read them, I think immediately I thought uh, I was uncritical of them because I thought, well, I haven't seen anything else that I thought would work be proposed. Um, and uh, I, I, th I think the more I read about them and the more I read into them, the more I thought, OK, yeah, th this is this does feel like a very, a very big land grab or, um, you know, an opportunistic um an opportunistic moment, but I've got to admit, it didn't surprise me. And I guess we should make t-shirts for this podcast that say billionaires are going to billionaire. Does, does that make sense? Like <laughs> I does. Yeah. 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 I guess what I was struck by was the hypocrisy of the whole situation, how the premier league, the FA 
and everyone else in the UK went, whoa, and uh, not only that, but the Conservative Party went, whoa, wait a minute, <laughs> you don't get to be opportunistic. When the Premier League, the FA and the Conservative Party all conspired, shall we say, to fuck the Football League in the early 90s. And that's the hypocrisy of the whole thing, is that it, the it part of this has partly risen because no one in any of these organisations has acted. And so uh, a, a, a billionaire and another billionaire have seen an opportunity and gone, we can capitalise here. We will make something. They will make something. That's capitalism. That's, that's how it works. That's the Premier League. So I'm, I'm a little unsure. Uh, us as the fans can go, well, hold on a minute. I'm not happy about this. But why the people at the top are complaining when they've not given us anything better, I think is is marvellous to look at. And no one can probably speak to the the um, apathy of the Premier League's approach to money more recently than Kristen, who experienced it firsthand with his own club. When, uh, you know, a, a, billi a billionaire, multi-billionaire comes in, makes an offer, and the Premier League go, well, um, uh, 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 sorry, and, and nothing happens. I'm just, I'm struck by all of, I'm struck by all of this, the hypocrisy of the whole situation. And, th and then to add to that, why is anyone surprised that John Henry's doing this? This is what John Henry does. John Henry <laughs> is, a, is an emotionless, uh, allegedly an emotionless billionaire who made money being opportunistic. <laughs> He's just an emotionless robot on a quest for more money. Is that what you're saying? We've all seen, we've all seen money. <laughs> it does. That's the thing. I think I agree with you, Lawrence, in that seeing those proposals, obviously some of them seem like good ideas. Some of them seem like terrible ideas. And the overriding feeling is it's more of a power grab than a, than a rescue plan. However, as you say, is this not just a, a logical extension, the logical conclusion of the thinking that brought us the Premier League in the first place. This is just the logical end point, given the, the hyper-capitalist society we live in, if you allow me to channel my, my inner Nico for a second there, Chris. This is, this, is all, this is all part and parcel of the world we live in. Yeah, I don't like the idea that it's unrealistic to be principled. That's my issue with this on a very fundamental level, because I think it, you're right to say a lot of the suggestions or aspects of this are beneficial to the EFL and I think bring a, a greater closeness between the leagues. But then the idea that you have to entertain the whole thing and come to some kind of middle ground, I just think that's very ignorant to the role that the EFL plays in our English pyramid to begin with. I, I think it's incredibly fun, the EFL, personally, but if you want to look at it in brass tacks and what it contributes in terms of players and development and all that kind of stuff, it does play a role. It, it has helped numerous England internationals that we look at now earn game time when the Premier League was not welcoming or able to accommodate them. So I think I've seen this a few times now where either the elite teams or whoever, they, they threaten to go off and form a Super League or, or whatever they want to do. And it's fast getting to the point where, like a partner who's heard their spouse say several times, I'll leave if this doesn't change, you just think, then go. Then just leave. <laughs> go and form the Super League. Do whatever you need to do, whatever works for you. Because 
The truth is... Hold on. In a breakup, Kristen, in the past, you've said, so leave, go and form the Super League. I want to I wanna be in those breakup conversations. <laughs> I did, but then two weeks later, I was crying into the phone saying, I may have made a terrible mistake. Um, yeah, exactly. well, is Super League good in bed? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think that what they're proposing right now, consolidating the power at the top of the league, all that will do is, in my mind, nicks the potential for another Leicester City type scenario or even a club, let's say, in the mould of Leicester who get new owners and want to be ambitious and want to strive for better things because it will be a closed shop. And the fact that they're even proposing the idea of having a say about who becomes an owner, that to me is incredibly dangerous because what motivates them to vote in the best interests of the league at that point? We can all say that, yes, when it came to Newcastle, there were human rights issues and all of that kind of stuff that made a valid case for it. I totally agree. You will not hear an argument from me on that. If a person with a similar level of wealth and no dark history, let's say, came into the situation, I read enough pieces that talked about the concern that those clubs had of a new player entering the ring, a new player entering the arena, however you want to frame it, to know that actually... There is no real legitimate case for them to even think of entering someone like that into the league because it will, again, further limit their opportunity to finish in the top six, to finish in the top four and consolidate their position. So I think, like I said, I've heard so many instances of these clubs talking about wanting to go off and do their own thing that I feel like they're pushing us to a point, and I say us as the teams outside of that bubble, to the point where I think, just go. Just go and, and if this is what you really feel is the best course of action or the only other course of action, then follow that. And the only other thing I'd say is a caveat. I know a lot of fans of those clubs are not ascribing to that idea, that they are much more of the case of that's not how the league should go. So I feel it's just important to, to clarify that because I don't want to group them in as right in an incorrect way. Yeah, that's the thing is that I, I can almost understand it from the club's point of view, you know, to put myself in... Daniel Levy's shoes, that they're very comfortable. Um, of course, you want to entrench your position of power. Of course, you want to make as much money as possible. You know, listen, we bring all the revenue. We bring all the attention. We bring all the international TV money. Therefore, we want more from a business perspective. I get it. However, taking off Daniel Levy's comfortable shoes, I completely disagree with that point of view, and I disagree with these proposals. The meritocracy of the Premier League is what makes it entertaining, that competitiveness is what makes it popular. And that's part of what makes these clubs so valuable and brings them this huge revenue in the first place. You could argue, yes, the Premier League is in reality a closed shop anyway. Leicester were the exception, as we've said many times before, but the same handful of clubs do win every year. And this would just formalise that. But at the same time, as I'm saying, the, the appeal of the Premier League is the romance of the competition. You don't have one team that dominates for four, five, six years in a row, as we see in France, in Germany, in Italy. Surely these clubs, Lawrence, are aware of that and aware these proposals will dilute that essential element that makes the Premier League so exciting, the sense that anyone can be anyone, and that competition that drives their popularity, their value, and their international appeal. It's interesting because when you... The, the, the term international appeal is... I think what has sucked the Premier League into the hole that it's in now, where we got very romantic around the international appeal of it. We love the idea of the British appealing to the world, right? But then 
very similarly to what is happening now, where uh, a lot of uh, things that happened in the past globally with Britain are now coming back to um, ask for equality and ask for, uh, you know, uh, women would like equality. Well, hold on a minute. This is this is a lot of white guys who built this, allegedly. You know, uh, black people would like equality. Well, hold on. There's a lot of there's a lot of white guys that built this here. Um, and what people don't seem to like is uh, people detailing the reality of what's actually going on. And what I was struck with, what we, what you just said there, where you talked about the romance of it. Romance is lovely, but it isn't necessarily realistic. And I think, sadly for us, um, we are caught in, well, we were caught in somewhat of a romantic bubble. And we're, we're struggling to come to terms with the idea that the Premier League isn't this romantic um, equal footing idea. We love to start the first day. We love the first day of the season when Sky Sports go, everyone starts on the same footing. Anyone could win it this year. But you're like, no, no, they couldn't. And I mean, anyone could, but they won't. And what John Henry and uh, the Glazers and other people have come along and pointed out is, look, look, that isn't the way it is. We are formalizing that structure that we already know exists in an informal way anyway. Financially, in many ways, it already exists. And we're throwing our weight around now because we don't feel that business-wise we're getting a fair um, share of the pie for what we believe that we're bringing. Now, obviously, that doesn't ring true with what I actually think in terms of Liverpool and what I think in terms of the way the Football League should be structured. But I, again, I'm going back to the horse has kind of bolted here, hasn't it? That um, we, we let that horse bolt quite a long time ago. And we were happy to go down that route until someone, until for some strange reason, someone went, came along and went, let's change up some of this structure a little bit. And we went, well, we're not ready for that. And I, I, I personally feel like a hypocrite for criticizing it because I'm like, well, I've bought the T-shirts. I've bought into all the brand deals. I've supported the club that is now top of the Premier League and is current Premier League champions. I don't think the current structure makes everyone happy. And I, if I'm honest, I don't trust the Premier League and I don't trust the FA to fix it. So the real question for me is who is actually going to fix it? Because neither of those parties I actually believe is competent enough to fix this. This is the thing, isn't it, Chris? I mean, the big sort of the big positive out of what these clubs are putting forward in project big picture is this 250 million pound bailout which is apparently a forward payment of the 25% of Premier League revenues that they're proposing to kick back to the EFL every single year. This is kind of a down payment on that, an immediate payment. What the Premier League alternatively seems to be proposing and we're discussing yesterday uh, with all the other Premier League teams as part of a bailout package they're trying to finalise is £140 million worth of loans and grants that will be going to the EFL. Obviously, that's £110 million short of what this alternative proposal offers. So as Lawrence says, Chris, the alternatives on the table are not necessarily answering the questions that are out there in terms of the long-term financial viability of the period. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, I, th- I think what concerns me about some of the things you touched on there is, as you said, it's an advance of future payments. And to me, it feels exploitative. It feels similar to these payday lenders where you're treating right. a symptom, not the issue. And you're saying, well, look at this thing that we've created to extend that payday lender thing for a second and say, well, now you can get your cash in advance. Right. But that doesn't change the fact that at the end of the month, I clearly don't have enough to bridge me across. And so in, in this instance with the EFL, to take it back to that for a second, what I think you will potentially see is a greater reliance from the EFL on the Premier League. So not only have they consolidated their potential power through we have a vote, we have these kind of things, but also what's to stop them making further alterations in the next TV deals or subsequent TV deals. So it's a case of where you get 24% or 23% and it just shifts the power to the point where I, I almost feel an obligation to make the case to the EFL that know your value, know your importance in this whole structure because we can talk about the cultural elements and the beauty of how many, you know, historic and culturally significant football clubs we have in England, right down the pyramid. But as I said before, they've also produced a lot of footballers. They also serve as the sort of training ground, if you will, for a lot of young footballers. And they play a role into making that Premier League what it is, into making those English players. So, I think this is, for me, where I almost need to look at the Premier League and say, I think you need to be not only a bit fairer in the way that you analyse this relationship, but I think you need to climb down a little bit because their interpretation of the situation, I don't think is that accurate. I think they're very good at marketing the Premier League. That is why they are in the position they are in now, is because they have out-marketed their competition. And you have to be careful not to buy into that. And that's my issue with this is when I see someone like Gary Neville, who, let's be frank about this, has a vested interest. He's at Salford City, so they could potentially benefit from this. Talk about how some of the proposal is good and and other writers and prominent figures saying, you know, it's about negotiation and, and some of these are really good. It falls into the trap I see in politics a lot where you have to entertain both sides. I don't necessarily think that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can comfortably say, no, the Premier League has an obligation to take care of the EFL because you are all part of the same pyramid. You're not next door neighbours. I get that. I guess they set themselves up as the top of that pyramid. And they, when they initially set themselves up, the grounds that they were set up on the, uh, the way they were set up, uh, the people who set them up set them at odds with that pyramid because of the way that it was done. 
And I think they do see themselves as exceptional. And I do think they want to be treated as exceptional. And I don't know if those people necessarily want to acknowledge. I think I, I'm not saying you're being idealistic. And I appreciate where you're coming from and being principled. But sadly, they would call that idealistic. Sadly, they would say what you're aiming for. Uh, we, we just can't do because we have shareholders or we have this or we have that. Now, sadly, that's that's corporate bullshit. But ultimately, it, in, in the negotiation process, that's that's the truth that they're going to lay out. And the sad side is they know what a great position they're in because they're the ones who are offering the bailout. They are in the ascendancy in terms of negotiations. And that's why they can make these terms. And as depressing as that is, it, it sadly, I think we've all been on that side of the negotiations at some point. You know, they're the landlord at this point in a way. Uh, uh, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think what I would say is as well is let's let's go worst case scenario and say that the AFL was to dissolve tomorrow and that it couldn't afford itself. So then you instantly nix relegation from the Premier League. You've just lost a key component of what makes your Absolutely. league appealing. Absolutely. Like the, the, just here, the amount of Americans who will talk to me about the final day and, and how they love a relegation battle and the ebb and flow of that, that is... Built on the fact but they that they won't have watch the Burnley Aston Villa, will they, Chris? <laughs> well, that that's that's the thing is that they they have benefited from that aspect of things, and at the same time, I think what I w- I would be less cynical towards the Premier League right now if they hadn't spent the first quarter of this year into the second quarter telling me that they needed to lay off staff that right. The, the transfer window was going to be drastically different. Anyone, I think it was Daniel Levy said, anyone thinking about doing deals like last summer is crazy. They're not acknowledging the impact that this is going to have. And what did they do? They spent more than last year because mm-hmm. a lot of clubs thought, you know what, actually this is an opportunity to to milk the system and, and take advantage of other leagues that are struggling. The clubs abroad that did need to sell, clubs like Roma and Sevilla and places like this. Right. That's fine. But you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth. And if you do, I think you have to eventually take the responsibility that when you put forth a plan like this, as if it is the only solution, it's the only option we've got left, that people are going to be highly skeptical of that. Because the last time you were asked to present a state of the union, if you will, financially, it was a little bit misleading in hindsight. Sadly, then, Boltwood, do you think that that comes down to the fact that, like you just said, or one one of you two just said, these are negotiation tactics and the press are covering this as if this is the final plan, as if this is what will actually be pushed through. And actually, I think they're taking up an extreme position, in a sense, to get to a middle ground. I agree. I think this is this is an opening gambit. There's some pretty there's some pretty outrageous out ideas in there. Or there's some pretty forward ideas in there. That I think you know, Liverpool, Manchester United, and potentially some of those other top six clubs, which may be on side, are sort of hoping to maybe push through half of them and sort of maybe do away with the Carabao Cup, do away with the do Community you, Shield. You, yeah. The, the, do you, uh, have, have we already expressed an opinion on those on this podcast, or is this segment also for uh, basically well, well, making the case that? Shield think, is valuable. I mean, it's it's all up for grabs, Lawrence. Are you are you all for the community shield? I'm all I'm I'm all for the community. Are you shield against the community, Lawrence? Is that what you're saying? I'm I'm for. Let's put it this way: I'm for the shield. I'm against the community. 
I'm not sure what the community <laughs> stands for anymore. Yeah, it's for it the used to be charity, um, I believe. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it should be for charity, uh, uh, or it should be named uh, Rick Parry Shield. I, I think. Uh, I guess. I guess. Uh, what's interesting about it is we seem we've uh, we've uh, every other major uh, sporting franchise in the world, NBA, NFL, all these things exist in a very interesting bubble i guess where they can mm. control they seem in control of who owns the teams maybe mm. it's a um maybe it's a, a facade but uh, it seems an interesting way of doing it and i um i guess what i'm seeing in this proposal is that there are uh these business models that liverpool manchester united and a lot of these top clubs have rely on a bit of a closed shop they need it to be a bit of a closed shop because they need to be able to have a sure thing in a sense mm. it's but that's not very conducive towards competition because the, the finances are, know it. because the finances are volatile correct right? yeah right. And, and also and also just because these people want to sure a thing as possible right yeah of um and then uh, to, to add to that i think it's unusual because the proposals clearly show the way that Manchester United and Liverpool structure their own clubs and structure um, their own finances. And what they're trying to achieve uh, is basically just making as much cash as possible. For some strange reason, uh, and I do find it interesting, John Henry also owns the Boston Red Sox, mm-hmm. who obviously have also invested a lot of cash in their own team and then recently are not investing so much cash and have been quite unscrupulous uh, in the way that they've acted in Boston and have been quite mean and have been quite um, unfair to some players, some staff and some people around that. Hmm. So again, I'm kind of, I, I guess I'm not surprised. And for some strange reason, I think it comes back to Premier League exceptionalism, if we can coin that term, hmm. that the Premier League thinks of itself as this exceptional product and the English League thinks of itself as this exceptional product. And for some strange reason, we're not willing to leave the bubble and the idea of what English football is. And the second that anyone challenges that, it becomes a bit of a problem. And at the moment, I think we're really struggling with the identity of what English football actually stands for now. And this is a bit of a crossroads for me. I think Kristen's points probably agree with that. I agree. I think this is an opening gambit. It's an initial position. You know, I don't think they're necessarily expecting to get all of these changes through if the proposal is agreed to. Just a couple of them is going to be a big win, obviously, if they could get rid of the Carabao Cup, for example, which takes up precious minutes uh, and precious games in the schedule. Um, I think what it does do is that it lays the groundwork and sets out a framework to demand more changes in the future. And that, I think, ultimately leads to what all these big clubs want, which is going to be the European Super League. I don't want that, though. But the teams obviously want that. They'll get it down now. Yeah. to eight. They'll potentially force through, oh, yeah, we, you know, we won't do away with this, won't do away with that, but we'll put the Premier League down to 18 teams. Oh, okay, now it's 16 teams, so now we can do the European Super League. That's where the money is. We're actually going to go off and do this now, lads. This feels like the inevitable slope towards Downsizing. that. Yeah, yeah. And it feels like, obviously, Rick Parry, I don't think you can take him at his word. He's talking about how Manchester United and Liverpool have the good of the game at their heart. And this is, you know, they, they care about the football pyramid. They want to save it. This is the best and only proposal we can accept. The way people are talking today, the talks between the EFL clubs, 
this suggestion was actually and this proposal was more popular than perhaps had been expected. It's less popular with the Premier League clubs who, you know, potentially have less to gain from this proposal. But it feels mm -hmm. like whether or not this goes through as it stands, John Henry and Manchester United are apparently going to pitch this properly, given that it's all sort of leaked over the weekend. They haven't had the chance to necessarily pitch it to every other Premier League club. I think they will pitch it. Some of the measures will go through, some won't. And this will ultimately lead Chris to what we expect to see in the next, what, five years potentially, which is the European Super League, which, according to all the reports, you know, the big clubs want to get in place by 2025, basically. I don't want to see this. I, want, I, don't, I, want I don't Liverpool think people to want to see it, no. Keep Liverpool British is all I'm saying. It's, make we, Liverpool British to again. Stay, make Liverpool British again. I just I don't want to see Liverpool in the. I mean, maybe we won't be invited, but I don't want to see Liverpool in the Europe. We're definitely going to be invited. I don't want to see <laughs> Liverpool in the European Super League. But this I goes back to what you saying. This goes back to what you were saying, Lawrence, at the top, and I'd love to know what you think, Chris. But it's always it doesn't matter what we think because the opinion has been universally negative. I don't think the top six clubs care. By all reports, they still want to push this through, especially Liverpool, Manchester United. The European Super League is what makes business sense for them. It's probably what makes business sense potentially for UEFA to make sure they're at the forefront of it. Is it a whole other sport, though? Can I just ask that? Just for, It feels the European Super League, Chris, I don't know if you agree with me here. You seem like a real advocate of the English Football League. Doesn't the European Super League feel like another level of football? Like, you know, when you, you you're in America now, right, Chris? The NBA <laughs> feels like another level to the point where basketball is played completely differently, right? I quite like domestic football and what domestic football makes football, if that makes sense. I think football will fundamentally change as a sport when we take it to a continental international level on a regular basis. I think the actual game will change. I th I think what you will see is you will see a diminish diminishing product ultimately, and I think actually in in a roundabout way I could see a scenario where a lot of the f the fans who advocated for it would think actually you know what I don't really like getting stuffed every second or third week if I'm not because that's the thing you have to think it it doesn't matter what teams you take whether it's you know the League One or the Premier League or the European Super League, there will be an order to that. There will be a food chain. So Sporting and Porto won't be able to beat Liverpool and Barcelona. So, yeah, you might, if you're the creme de la creme of European football, enjoy it because, again, it'll be like a, a Premier League on steroids in the sense that you'll be the best team in Europe and you'll go against Barcelona and Real Madrid every year. But if you have a bad few years, it's not you it's going to lose its appeal big time. And I think that's the, the thing of the Champions League. Yeah, you could give yourself that European Super League. But the beauty of the Champions League is almost its infrequency, not yeah, its right. frequency. Like it, it's, it's special. Exactly. Yeah, you get the semifinals once a year and it means that there's more on the line. So... You, there's whether subconsciously or not, I think players put more into it. You get more special moments, that kind of stuff. Whereas if it became something that was par for the course all year round, I, I do, I think you would just lose a lot of it. And and that's why for me personally, I really think that football is at a bit of a tipping point right now. 
And I think that mm. 2020, all bets are off in a lot of ways. But right now, as it stands, we're looking at a situation where if fans aren't consulted or listened to now, I don't know if they ever will be. It's, again, I think... Yeah, it is counterintuitive in that we want the surprise, we want the shock, we want that unpredictable nature. We saw a couple of weekends ago, Villa hammering Liverpool, Spurs beating Manchester United 6-1. Those are the moments which make people go, oh my God, football's amazing, football's the beautiful game, that's what we want to see. Obviously, of course, uh, Liverpool want less of that, United want less of that, and these sorts of structures they, they're proposing potentially help mitigate it. Just to, to give the counter-argument, sort of in closing almost, is... Obviously, a lot of these concerns and this sort of mindset was what was in opposition to the creation of the Premier League in the first place in 1992. Here we are, what, almost 30 years down the line. You know, the Premier League, as it stands, is the, the best league in the world. We've got the best players. You know, football's more entertaining and more, more sort of engaging than ever. Can you see a situation, Chris, where... This does work in that, you know, it's the, the natural evolution from Premier League to, you know, potentially this European Super League, this proposal being a step towards that, where in 30 years' time, when we're podcasting at the age of 60, um, and they're Sweet talking well. about the, the, the International League, you know, which is going to take place in space, I assume, um, you know, that's actually going to be a good thing as well, you know? No, because I think what you were talking about there was rebranding and, and crystallizing the league, not detaching it from what it is. That that there, There's crystallizing the Premier League, and then what you're doing here is forming an unshakable power. The, the thing with the Premier League, and this was something I think Rick Parry said, why does Huddersfield have the same vote as Man United? Because English football's a meritocracy. That's why. Because if you get in there, if you get promoted from the Northern League right all the way up to the Premier League, You've earned it, and you've exactly. got to earn it to stay there every year. And as and long we live as in you're... an actually equal society, yeah, fuck and, and, off, Rick, prick. And as long as you're above that line, and you're still in the next year, the same applies. And that's that's where, and I can feel my inner Nico coming out here, but I won't be able to express it as articulate as he does. That's kind of my problem with a lot of society now is that those at the top think actually I don't want to take any risk and lose this at all. So how do I shut the hatch door on on top so that no one can come in above me? And that's to me, that's not what football is at all. Football, even now, I think it has sort of morphed to a stage where as a fan outside of the top six, the enjoyment comes from we might beat one of them this season, a 1-0 win, a Matty Longstaff goal, something like that. That's great and everything, and it's lovely. But I don't want to look back in 30 years and think that was the zenith or the, the apex of everything. You know, I don't want to think that was as good as it got. I want to believe we could do more than that. And I worry that this is a stage towards moving further in that direction where you have to keep finding the joy in something that's not a trophy or not striving to be a better team because you think, well, they are light years from us and we are no closer to getting near them. That's the thing, though, Chris. They'll all be off in the European Super League playing each other. They won't be in the Premier League, so Newcastle might have a shot of winning it. You know, so it's actually uh, it's all as, good. As, as funny I've as got... that sounds, that's not a te- that, that's why I see <laughs> yeah. some fans suggest it because they think, you know what, go on, then, you know, get thing. yourself away, boys. It's not really the Premier I've, League I've you're winning, bit... then, though, is it? Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, but I see the appeal of that. I also see this appeal. Uh, I always think, um, I, I guess, if there is this European Super League, it does give the clubs that are left behind on planet Earth the opportunity to set up some sort of, um, you know, breakaway colony almost that can then market mm. itself as authentic British football. And, you know, Millwall can come in the top and stuff. Like, it'll be bloody oh, brilliant. Uh, but, like, yeah, I do yeah. think there is something in that, in that you could, I don't know, maybe that, I, I, I can't quite work out whether the European Super League needs relegation or not. And how, if you're, what does the European Super League do if Spurs suddenly become really, really good? Like, does that work? There's so mm. many strange things in this that don't quite work. It, it, it's, it's very American. I'll put it that way. Mm. It's very NFL. It's very NBA. It's very that level of kind of sport hmm. uh, it remains to be seen what happens that i'm very intrigued to see how it all works out uh, i think we're going to find out this week what's happening in terms of the premier league and what sort of package they're going to get put forward if the clubs are going to vote it through and therefore if this proposal you know could have a bit more standing than it appears to have today but guys let us know what you think on twitter at the front three fascinated to hear your thoughts which planet do you want to see football played on in 2040, 2050. Venus. You know? Venus. Venus. Venus is the one, I think. Yeah. That's the, that's yeah. the one we Everyone yeah. should be floating oh, about, you know. And then the, the Community Shield could, should be played on Mars. Yeah. I just that, think it that feels just makes like sense, the right doesn't place. It? Yeah. Exactly. Well, it's also sponsored by, uh, I think it's sponsored by Emirates, so you need it to be red. So, yeah. yeah. The moon yeah. could be the. No, the moon could be the Milky Way. Surely that's uh, the... The, mil- the milk yeah. cup. Bring the milk cup the back. Milk, for the Milky yeah, Way. Yeah, the first go to the moon and win that again. Yeah. Right. Rick Parry, if you're listening, just factor that into the proposal. Yeah. You ain't know that scribbling on a piece of paper. Because it seems that what Rick Parry is susceptible to is, and I quote, any idea that's ever suggested to Rick Parry. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.